Hello and welcome to episode 26 of, of the European show. Um, we're back again now, this time not with the international break. And to join me in our comprehensive review of this weekend's football is, is Nick. Hi Jack, how are you doing? I am, I'm alright. I, I this weekend's football well. has taken a heavy toll on me, but we move, we move. What would you have to? What would you have to for us to start? So, with? Mm-hmm. we're first going to start in France, where the only really get, real game of of importance was between PSG and Lille, and the great thing for us here is is that we've actually got a prediction right, and quite specifically right as well. Didn't we say great. Jonathan David? If if anyone doesn't believe us, they can go back on the to the previous episode and check it out. We was, we said that Jonathan David is going to score the winning goal against PSG, and he did. Yeah, we we did say it would have been a last. We don't have to talk though. about that. But that's beside the point. He scored, he scored quite early on, which which actually ended up being the only goal of the game, and gave Leo the win. So this was really. PSG dominated this game, and it was a backs against the wall uh, performance by by Lille, and it was a very heroic performance as well. Especially considering how only a few weeks ago they were literally torn apart by Lille by PSG in in the Coupe de France, and so many of Lille's players had had great games. Mike Magnon, who was a star of the of the return game in. Lille last year was great again and made so many great saves to stop the PSG front four and obviously Jonathan David played well until he sadly got um, substituted off because of ankle ligament injury which may mean he missed his a few weeks out which is a shame because he, he was beginning to hit form as well or he was in good form in fact but someone who 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 we can laugh at his name was unbelievably rattled he he was making his first start back after after injury and he he first got quite annoyed by Benjamin Andre of Lille and then got into a bit of a tussle with him which proceeded with him receiving a yellow card then obviously right at the end of the game PSG were pushing for a winner or an equaliser should I say to keep him top and the ball goes into the corner and Thiago Diallo of, of, of Lille was, was shielding the ball and obviously the ball goes out and, and he, he picks the ball up Neymar doesn't like that and decides to push him over Diallo obviously quite uh, is, is quite eccentric with the with his with the reaction and it results in Neymar getting a second yellow card and getting sent off. But it also results in him getting a second yellow card as well and also getting sent off. And so obviously both teams are down to 10 men. But in the end, that didn't really matter with with Leo coming out in on top. In Neymar's last 14 uh, league on games, he has been sent off three times, which is a crazy high number. Especially for an attacker, because right defenders may be like, oh yeah, maybe they just kept getting unlucky with their tackles and such. But no, this shows that, that Neymar hasn't matured 
past the past basically the kid he was when he arrived to Europe he still has this very childish nature and he he, he, he none of his none of his yellow cards came from him just like from open play him fouling someone they were all him getting angry and and getting into fights basically I, I believe he could have gotten a red card for for that first foul he committed actually because he just well, he doesn't slap um the the little player right but he but he just shoves his face away and it's 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 very aggressive and i've i've seen other players be be booked more harshly for that and i th- i think it's something that neymar has been stuck on for quite a while yeah and i, I do this is a, a constant occurrence for neymar his his disciplinary issues and so it does mean that he will miss obviously the next game of quite a crucial last few games for PSG as they will be chasing Lille and they are obviously three points behind this Lille team with seven games left the great stat from this Lille game was the fact that four of the Lille players had all been in the PSG academy <laughs> at, at some point and it just shows how how many great players PSG let go of every year because it's not just in Lille as well you've got Christopher Nkunku at RB Leipzig, you've got uh, Diaby, uh, by Leverkusen, and, and and so many more as well that they just kind of let go of. Returning, <laughs> returning back to the point of the of the league standings, PSG not only have to to look up and as they chase Lille and try to overcome this three point gap, they have to be careful with the with the teams below them, because in particular Monaco is one point behind them after winning after their after winning four nil against Metz this weekend. The, the game was, as the scoreline suggests, basically a walk in the park for, for Monaco, where they weren't particularly clinical in the, in the first half, and they missed a lot of opportunities, but after halftime, everything went well. Cesc Fabregas got, got a penalty and scored it, followed by Kenny Voland and a Wissam Benyeri brace, just closed everything off and, and just sealed a comfortable win for, for Monaco. Yeah, and so it does add, another, and Leon obviously drew as well. So it does mean Monaco obviously going to third, and so it'd be interesting to see how this pans out now. And so PSG's attentions now move on to the Champions League, where they are up against Bayern Munich, and I, I do believe that Bayern. I'm not going to breeze through this, but it's. I feel it's going to be a lot more open and a lot better for Bayern than it was in the final of last year. Yeah, absolutely. Especially over two legs. I don't think PSG will be as capable of just maintaining the, the cohesion and the solidity that they showed over over the last game. And also with a more inexperienced manager. I'm inexperienced in the sense of of, of playing <laughs> no, obviously Pochettino has been playing for I mean coaching for a great many years, but not for PSG obviously. And he's he's done a decent job in the Champions League occasionally, but not against teams like Bayern Munich. So I th- I, I I agree with you. With with Flick will probably drown out Pochettino with a, with a fair amount of ease. Yeah, I I do think despite their lack of Robert Lewandowski, I do believe Bayern will will quite comfortably win this. And obviously, because we know how defensively poor. PSG can be and that's likely going to be exposed against probably the best team in Europe yeah especially with them um, especially with Bayern doing so well recently in the domestic league isn't that right yeah and so it'd be 
Kingsley Coman Masterclass incoming to haunt one of his many former teams. So now we're going to have our, our break and then we will be back with La Liga. Welcome back from our from our break. We're first going to start with Real Madrid versus Ibar. Right. So so this weekend in Liga was extremely eventful, and well, Real Madrid's game was was a good example. Was, was is a good place to start with with this exciting week weekend or even in in La Liga. Uh, it was it was a game which Real Madrid dominated, but had to fight extremely fight uh, extremely hard for to get their first goal. Uh, mostly because they weren't particularly clinical, or in in the final third where they're finding the finding that last pass to get a shot on goal, but uh, a really nice cross from Marcelo on the left wing to Benzema, who who's, who jumped up for for another extremely nice header as he's gotten really good at. Meant that meant that Real Madrid finally broke the deadlock, except. Benzema was a fair amount offside, so that was that that was. So, however, Benzema was a fair amount offside, so the goal didn't end up counting. And then a few minutes later, a break down the right ends up in a cross towards Asensio, who scores a gorgeous back heel goal, nutmegging uh, Dimitrovic, Abar's goalkeeper. However, Mar- uh, the the right back who who crossed it in, I, I believe it was Lucas Vasquez, was offside. So unfortunately, that masterpiece of a goal was also called offside. And then further on, throughout the game, Real Madrid finally scored a valid goal with, a, with a, as per usual, Benzema coming in to, to save the day. Another good header finally uh, meant that Real Madrid got their, got their 1-0 on the score sheet. And then Casemiro just drilled one into the bottom right corner. However, like three passes earlier, one of the one of the receivers of, of of the pass, I believe it was Marcelo again, had been offside. So again, a really nice goal was called offside. In fairness, all three all three calls were fair, and they didn't end up affecting the the three points that Real Madrid got. But it's it's crazy that all three of those, honestly, extremely nice goals, were were called off, and then and then finally, uh, the 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 this. Finally, the game ended 2-0 to, to Real Madrid with, with one last goal from, from Asensio who, who made up for, for his previous lack of a goal really by just slotting the ball into the top left corner of the net. So with that, Real Madrid comfortably slid in three points into their, into their back pockets and they recovered some ground on Atletico Madrid. Um, in midweek... Real Madrid are obviously in action in the Champions League against against Liverpool. They are without Eden Hazard, Danny Carvajal, and Sergio Ramos. So all or Ramos especially all 
big players in the team. And so it, it will be interesting to see how this Real Madrid team deals with Liverpool. As obviously, this is a rematch of the 2018 final. I, I'm pretty sure Salah will be a lot happier about, about the way things are turning out. Yeah, so he doesn't have someone to throw him on the ground and dislocate <laughs> his shoulder and ruin his whole first and probably only ever World Cup. But yeah, I, I do, obviously, yes, you could probably say there's some bias here, me saying this, but I do think Liverpool are probably going to come out on top here. I feel like the way Liverpool play is going to overrun the ageing Real Madrid midfield. I, I would have agreed with you until last game. Um, Zidane has adopted the, the ever more popular three at the back that I would like to say Simeone began the trend of doing this in Spain so well I mean Simeone started it then Barca went for it and now Sevilla also sometimes plays with three at the back and in this last game against Eibar Zidane tried out with with Benjamin Mendy as essentially playing the same role Hermoso does in, in Atletico Atleti so he's a centre-back who, who goes up really far. Also, I guess you could say a little bit like Upamecano. He, he, he drives up the ball really far. And then with Marcelo as left wing-back, which is extremely smart. Because I've been saying for years, Marcelo is no longer a good defender. But he's extremely skilled and fast. And so he makes for a good winger and he makes for, for a good left wing-back. As, as the, the couple of assists against, um, against Eibar showed. So I think that maybe this change in system and will both surprise Liverpool and maybe give them the edge they need to come out on top. I, I still don't see Real Madrid being able to overcome Liverpool. Also, I think, I think the most important change of this is that it means that there's no, there's no place for Vinicius to start, which basically means they're playing without their handicap. You, you say that, watch Vinicius start. <laughs> you've, just, you've just jinxed uh-huh. it now, so it's going to happen. On to Sevilla versus Atletico Madrid now. This was a very interesting game. So uh, Sevilla started out with an extremely intense pressing, and Liti was completely choked out and was not able to to pat, to get out of their own half for the first twenty minutes. And Sevilla's high pressure paid off, even though they didn't manage to actually get any shots on goal from open play. Uh, a careless, a careless misstep from Saul cost Atleti a penalty and so Ocampos who hadn't missed a, a penalty in, in La Liga yet and Oblak who had saved one penalty in the last three years well Oblak saved Ocampos penalty which was extremely big and essentially it it had a psychological effect on both teams Sevilla suddenly began yeah just to note Obviously, Ocampos had that perfect penalty record until the Copa del Rey as well, where That's he missed true. a penalty against That's Barcelona. True. So clearly, clearly, he's not particularly confident uh, currently from from this spot. But but this this missed penalty also changed the dynamic of the game quite a lot. Atleti began pushing up more, with Lemar and Koke being instrumental in driving the ball up the pitch, and this energy continued into the second half, in which the game even now much more, and Atleti began attacking. Uh, much more comfortably and then both teams were quite even defending quite well but the in the midfield the, in, the, in the midfield the, the possession was changing very very often and then uh, and then and then many controversial decisions came into play in fact I wouldn't even say they're controversial I would just say that they were just objectively wrong uh, to begin with no, they, okay if anyone thinks I'm exaggerating here 
just look at the highlights. Just just check this out. First of all, Sevilla Sevilla scored from a from a uh, a Jesus Navas cross into Acuna, who heads it in. And the thing with this is that uh, Ocampos had blocked a clearance from from Trippier with his hand. It, it, like, it wasn't even like an unintentional handball. Ocampos jumps to block the shot, to, to, jumps to block the to block the, the clearance, just just as you do in like in like football. And then it hits his hand, and it, it it's like flagrant and obvious. The ref is standing right next to him as well. But he, but he just says play on, and then like thirty seconds later, it's literally the same. It's literally the same uh, action. Like ten passes later, the the ball ends up in the back of Aleti's net, and VAR just like doesn't care. So I thought that that was wrong. It's just literally any other team would have that uh, called offside. Sorry, called for a handball, and and the and the goal wouldn't have counted. And then Diego Carlos should have received a second yellow on two occasions with two extremely harsh fouls which the which the ref just completely ignored and i don't know i i and i mean while aleti wasn't like clearly deserving of a win and right sure the game was fairly even and, and the result itself isn't completely unfair the the refing really really cost aleti um, a lot here and this could be pivotal in the season uh, this could be extremely important at the end of the season yeah because obviously Bar- Barcelona play tonight and can close the gap to uh, to one point with them still to play to still to play each other as well yes exactly however the Clasico is next weekend exactly and Ball. obviously well mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid are against Real Betis but they are without Luis Suarez and and Llorente and Felix which and Llorente yeah. which will be big so Aleti probably won't end up scoring that game but returning to the topic of just objectively bad refing decisions uh, Valencia played against Cadiz uh, last weekend and on the surface level it wasn't a particularly interesting match um, Cadiz won 2-1 with with goals from Juan Cala and um, I may or may not have forgotten the other one but Juan Cala is an important player in this match as in the 30th minute the Akabi runs to the ref, accusing Juan Cala of calling him racial slurs, and and obviously he did. It's it from the way Cala reacted from 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 what you can see on camera from the conversation these two had. Cala uh, racially abused the Akabi, and so and so Valencia decides to boycott the game and they walk back to the change rooms until something is done about it. And what La Liga decides to do is not investigate, not do anything about it. Instead, force Valencia out with the threat of. Uh, making them lose four points if they if they don't go back on the pitch, and then uh, and so and so Diakabi asks his teammates to go out and play and play without him. So what I think was ridiculous was that Valencia was forced to keep playing. Diakabi was no longer on the pitch, and Juan Cala remained, you could say, a free man. And and I don't know. I just think that that was so wrong of La Liga to just take the Akabi's claims and basically wipe their ass with them so uh, hopefully something better will something will be improved about that in the future but with with the way the, with the attitude that La Liga is treating this I don't have that much hope for it obviously Valencia have um, called on La Liga to change the way they've approached approached this and the way it's done is just wrong the, the only way any sort of necessary change would happen 
would be if uh, a team like like with the stature of Valencia just stop playing and don't refuse to carry on playing and you shouldn't have an organization even whoever it is just tell them you have to play or we're gonna or it's gonna re- give out consequences because at the end of the day that's not going to solve anything and it's not going to stop any form of racist abuse and it kind of just shows I'm, I'm obviously not saying this is, is a general thing but in in Spain it's kind of showing that they're not that bothered about it and not too bothered to make a change because if they were they would you would have if they were bothered about the abuse that had gone on they would have allowed Valencia to stop playing, but the fact that they let, they threatened Valencia. In fact, to, that they would they would receive consequences when they, Valencia had done nothing wrong, and you, they'd actually done the right thing. It just kind of shows La Liga's stance on on racism, which I, I do think is yeah, wrong. absolutely. The the organization as a whole's approach to it, both both the refs and and the higher ups, the way that they just treated uh, the Akabis, um uh, well, accusation, right? So nonchalantly is just you have to treat it with more seriousness. If someone if someone comes up to you and says, for example, in the Champions League, when I forgot who it was, but it was one of the um, it was one of the Shakhtar Istanbul players. Istanbul Shakhtar, 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 right? Yeah. That's it. Oh yeah, it was Dembaba. Dembaba. Uh, claimed that that there had been a racist comment against him. Wafer just acted acted reasonably well. They were like, okay, we're going to uh, stop the match, play this again later, and investigate the claims. Meanwhile, illegal was just like. You know what? If you don't want to be racially abused, get off the pitch, and the rest of your team has to keep playing, or else you're gonna harshly punish them for it. Like, w- why would you do that? That that's objectively wrong. It's definitely not the way to to solve punishing the team that has done nothing wrong. Absolutely. Because they're trying to do the right thing and give some sort of awareness to the situation that's happened. So obviously, I imagine this isn't the last we're gonna hear of this situation. Absolutely, and obviously we will update. Yeah, Juan Cala is set to to have um, a conference with with some people. I'm not exactly sure what organization they're from, but it's on Wednesday, so we'll see how that turns out. And so finally in Spain, we've got a pretty big game as well in the Copa del Rey final, where Athletic Bilbao lost one 0 to Real Sociedad. Yeah, it was. And Sociedad win their first trophy. In Copa del Rey since 1984. Both teams were competing to win their first uh, Copa del Rey in over 30 years and in fact other than Bilbao's Super, Super Cup which isn't as big of a trophy as say La Liga or, or, or Copa del Rey, Atletic hadn't won a, a trophy since I believe in 1984 something like that so both teams had gone on a very long a dry spell without something and both teams are from the Basque country so they're quite bits of rivals so I was expecting to see a, a very big game with a lot of passion and intensity from both sides. But only Real Sociedad showed up, really. Athletic played reasonably well in the first half, but they, they were like on automatic mode. I don't think they were as into the game as their opponents were, and it showed, especially in the, fr- in the second half, when, when Real Sociedad just went all out to try, and, to try and win the game. They completely choked out Athletic. They didn't let them get out of their own half for the entirety of the 45 minutes, pretty much. Uh, Muniain and Iñaki Williams and Raul Garcia, the, the three attackers for Athletic, were not nowhere to be seen at all. And 
I mean, while Athletic's defense did do quite well to stop the Real Sociedad onslaught, they were eventually punished by a, by a mistake from Inigo Martinez, that who gave away a penalty to to Oyer Sawal, and Oyer Sawal is a penalty specialist. He he obviously tucked it in comfortably, so that concluded the game basically, and nothing. Athletic was unable to react. What was good about about the celebrations at the end was that. Um Munyain, obviously the rest of the Athletic Bilbao team had gone inside. Munyain stayed out and and congratulated the Real Sociedad team. And I, I do suppose, obviously normally losing a cup final would hurt quite a lot. But with Athletic Bilbao, they have another, another shot at it in two weeks. So I do think it's not that big of a deal. But I do suppose it also does make this game against Barcelona a lot more important than what it could have been. Absolutely, and I think I think um, Marcelino, the athletic manager, will have a lot to learn from this game because they were so choked out by this high pressure, a high pressure that is similar to one that Barcelona uses, that maybe he will be able to find a way in which to to improve upon this, and uh, and obviously spur more more emotion and intensity into his players for this for for this essentially uh, second shot that they miraculously have. Because they just weren't, they, they just didn't play like they were playing a, a game this important in 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 the previous match, and also back to Munyain, uh, I don't know in in Spain at least I'm pretty sure this is around the world, but um, did, uh, I'm I'm not sure if this also thing in England, uh, Munyain touched the cup before he walked onto the, the 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 actual trophy before he before he walked onto the pitch, so everyone was saying that that's why why Athletic lost. Is that also a thing in England? Um, I don't think so, but I, I obviously think players from because basically English football isn't English yeah. football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, I do think a lot of the superstitions stem from uh, around Europe because you do you never do see a player touch the trophy, and I, I do think that's why because of a superstition like that. Right, exactly. And so finally, before we before we move on to the Bundesliga. We, I know this hasn't got anything to do with Spain, but um, Porto against Chelsea in the Champions League. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll coin this section our Iberian section, <laughs> just so we can fit in Porto. And so, yeah, obviously Porto, the giant killers, are knocking out Juventus uh, in extra time. Chelsea, obviously, knocking out Atletico Madrid. Um, I, d- I do think this is going to be quite an interesting game. Because obviously Porto are quite a defensive team. Chelsea have become a bit more of a defensive team under Thomas Tuchel, and I do, I do think, this is going to be shown, and it could be quite possibly a boring game. But I, I, I obviously I personally hope Porto get through because I think it'd be a great story. But realistically, I think Chelsea. But then also part of me thinks I actually can't tell. Because Porto, because Porto are no longer the team that are the whipping boys and they prove that with their win against Juventus as obviously the past few years they'd be like oh we've drawn Porto that means we're going through to the next round now it's a case of oh we've drawn Porto how, how are we going to they're actually quite good now I I, th- I personally see Chelsea's favourites because yes Porto knocked out Juve but Juve were playing horrendously bad and it was an extremely close game Porto only went through because of a of a Ronaldo mistake really in that one free kick in in the dying minutes of of extra time so so long as Chelsea basically do what what they've been doing since since the rival Thomas Tuchel 
they will struggle and they will have a, a very tough opponent to face. But I think that just on, on a quality basis, they should go through. So that game is definitely probably one to keep an eye on. It's either going to be really boring or has the tendency to be quite an exciting game. So now to the Bundesliga, where obviously we had the top of the table clash between Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig. Sadly, um, Bayern Munich won 1-0, meaning the Bundesliga title race is basically that all over. Perfectly well for me. That, that works perfectly well for me. I would hate to see a corporate club like RB Leipzig ever to win the ever to win the Bundesliga. I, l I love watching RB Leipzig play. Don't get me wrong; they're very entertaining. But the whole concept of them, I hate it. Technically, a corporate club has already won the Bundesliga. Right, ex call... except for Wolfsburg. They were... yeah, but, but but they're but they're a traditional German team. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's uh, the way I see one it. One thing. One thing to take from this is. Bayern Munich don't need Robert Lewandowski, as Eric Maxim Chupamoting and Leon Skoretzka. Clearly, he may not lack Leo. He may lack the goals that Lewandowski has, but he did a decent job up front. And obviously, yes, the winning goal was scored by Leon Skoretzka or Leon Goretzka, obviously if you don't know who that is, which was coined by Thomas Muller, who provided the assist as well, and that was obviously the only goal of the game. But Obviously, Chipamoting solid up front here, in which I, I thought was quite a shock, because obviously you would think Serge Gnabry would start up front. But I imagine that's because Flick has his eyes set on, on, on Wednesday when they are playing PSG, obviously. And so Serge Gnabry is probably likely to start up front there. But in this game itself, Leipzig were actually the better team. Like throughout the game, Leip I wouldn't say it was total Leipzig domination because there were times that Bayern Munich obviously had a hold of the game, but RB Leipzig were in control of the game more often and had so many decent chances to score, and they just lacked the clinical edge, which I think is what that's what you get really when you don't really play with a proper out and out striker. You can whatever you say, Christopher Nkunku, Emil Forsberg, and Danny Olmo are not strikers it's, it's simple but the clinical edge that Leipzig lacked kind of showed the difference in, in what it takes to be a champion as obviously Bayern Munich they didn't need that many chances and they still won the game while, while Leipzig literally had an onslaught on Bayern Munich's goal and were unable to do anything and I just think that kind of shows what it, what it takes to be a champion and it just shows how, how naive uh, Leipzig are as a team when it comes to challenging at the top it, and you could also argue that this isn't the first time it happened and it also happened when in the Champions League last year when they played PSG and obviously got knocked out then as well it's also what me at least I, I it's brought me a little bit more down to earth and probably anyone who viewed Nagelsmann in the same way I did because I always, I was, I always thought like yeah Nagelsmann is this incredible offensive manager and he's like a tactical genius and he's going to be revolutionary and he could still be a revolutionary manager, but he still has a long way to go and a long way to improve. As this game showed, he, he's still inexperienced and he can make bad tactical decisions, just completely bad ones, as, as he did on the weekend. Yeah, it was very questionable when he, he realised that they weren't scoring and decided to sub on all of his strikers, that being Kwangi Chan, Alexander Sorlot and Yusuf Paulson. He subbed them all on and it was kind of... They were just 
overloading on attackers, but they kind of lost their identity of how they were going to play. And they were kind of mixing it between just chucking crosses in for Yusuf Paulson and Sorlot to try and get onto, as well as trying to play the nice, tidy football that they normally play. And that kind of backfired. And it, it got worse when Yusuf Paulson, literally his first touch in the game, he gets injured trying to stretch for a longer ball. And that it means he Ibrahima Kanate has to get subbed on for Paulson, which then just counteracts everything he just did a few minutes earlier. So it does make you question why didn't Nagelsmann start with a proper striker from the off. Whether that be Huang Yi Chan or Yusuf Paulson, it probably would have been would have made sense to start with one, especially against a weakened Bayern Munich back line where they had Nicolas Sule and Lucas Hernandez both playing over Jerome Boateng and Alfonso Davies. But obviously, what's interesting here is Nagelsmann never blames his team. He always takes the blame himself, which I think just shows... Yeah, it's quite respect. I like that. The opposite of... He is the opposite of Mourinho in every single way possible. I know, and that's probably the way management is going now. You take the blame for yourself as you admit your errors and so obviously Bayern are now seven points clear at the top of the at the top of the table and the title race is basically all but over unless Bayern have some miraculous slip up and so in the race for the Champions League Dortmund played Frankfurt and and lost 2-1 and it they've missed they've screwed up their whole season here they've they've faltered badly as that loss obviously means Frankfurt goes seven points clear of Dortmund in fourth place. And it, it brings into so many questions now what's going to happen at Dortmund. Before we get on to that, though, so the game itself, last last time, or when we when I was talking about Dortmund versus Cologne, I said how Thomas Mounier was quite poor. He was terrible once again. And obviously, Murray couldn't start because he's coming off an injury. But it was it was disastrous, really. And it also didn't help that Nico Schultz, the left-back, was terrible as well. And Nico Schultz had a nightmare game where he also ended up scoring an own goal to give Frankfurt the lead. Dortmund were, were probably the better team in the first half as well, although Frankfurt did have their periods which, which troubled Dortmund. And Mats Hummels managed to get a goal back for Dortmund before half-time. So then at half time you're thinking, okay, Dortmund need Modahud, who's probably been their best player away from Erling Haaland in the past few weeks. And and so you think, okay, Nico Schultz will come off, you stick Rafael Guerrero at left back, and then you have a, a midfield three of Bellingham, Delaney and Dahoud, which is probably the way to go for Dortmund at the moment. But then a few a few minutes go by in the second half where the, the starters have came on again. And Edin Terzic decides to sub off Jude Bellingham for Mo De Hood, which is probably the most one of the most bizarre tactical decisions I've ever seen in my life, especially because of how great a partnership De Hood and Bellingham have. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that that cost Dortmund the game, but it, it would have been a big influence as Bellingham has been another one of Dortmund's best players in recent weeks, despite his young age. And yes, you could argue oh, that we've got eyes on Manchester City, but this is probably more important than the Manchester City game in the context of their season, as, it, as if they won, they had a chance of making 
in, into the Champions League for this year. But as it stands, their only way in it is winning the Champions League. And when they're up against a team that's the dominant as Manchester City, it's looking very unlikely. And so Frankfurt won the game through an Andre Silva header, which no surprise was assisted by Philip Kostic. I know a few weeks ago we were talking about Harlan Sancho being the best duo. I think the, away from Thomas Muller and Leon Goretzka, <laughs> away from Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski uh, Philip Kostic and Andrzej Silva are the best duo in the Bundesliga and so as I said before this, this game does have big implications on Dortmund's season as now if they don't make it in the Champions League what happens to ha- Haaland and what happens to Sancho as well as obviously both are heavily linked to many teams well I mean um, I'm basically certain that at least one of them leaves, probably both as well, because Haaland has to play at the highest level of football possible. And right, Dortmund can, can be hard asses about his 180 million release clause all they want. But at the end of the day, if he's pushing to leave, he's going, he's going to leave. And, and there's clubs that are probably willing to pay even, even that much money. And I, I would be unfair to him to, to trap him for, for that long. So it's basically impossible. For, for Dortmund to trap him at, at a club that isn't playing Champions League and well similar case for, for Jadon Sancho really he he showed how he can act up when he isn't given what he wants at the start of the season where he just thought I didn't get to move to Man United I'm going to play like absolute garbage and so I don't think Dortmund will want to go through that again and they'll probably just want to the, the best choice for them would really realistically be to just let him leave I, I do think it's more likely that Sancho is probably the one that's more yeah, likely to leave his last summer because obviously, well. yeah, especially because he was he he really wanted to leave last year, and obviously he didn't get that, and then he stayed. It obviously his performance at the start of the season was terrible, but then obviously he picked up before he got injured, and I, I do think he he wants to leave. Whether that be to Man United or a different team is obviously unknown. I think it's I think it's also interesting to to note that not only is Dortmund almost certainly out of Champions League now unless they win the actual Champions League but they might not even make Europa League because they're even on points with 6th place Leverkusen who are right below them and they're only 4 points ahead of Union Berlin, Stuttgart and Gladbach and in these in this final stretch of the season uh, 4 of their last games are against Leverkusen, Ber- Union Berlin, Stuttgart so 3 of their rivals for for the Europa League spot and one and one of the last ones being against Leipzig, who are most likely going to beat them because they're strong as hell at the moment. So it's it's generally re- realistic that that Dortmund won't even make Europa League, maybe not even European football, if they if they can't make it into the sixth spot European Conference League uh, place. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how how this pans out because obviously. It it as as it did seem unlikely that Borussia Mönchengladbach could finish ahead of Borussia of Dortmund, as obviously after beating uh, Dortmund, Gladbach went downhill. But it's now possible again, and so <laughs> it'd be great to see this all go to shit for Dortmund. And jokes on Marco Rosa, as I said last week, and I'll say it again. Things get worse for Dortmund as well, as obviously Yusuf Makoko is out injured for the rest of the season as he picked up a, a, a ligament injury when on under 21 duty, even though he didn't play at all. Yeah, so he uh, after 
a great debut season, especially for a 16-year-old. He, yeah, it's a shame that it's it's came to an end like this. As obviously, as as we mentioned, Borussia Dortmund against Manchester City. I do think this. You you may think this is strange. Obviously, people have touted the possibility of Real Madrid versus Liverpool being one of those classic Champions League games, but I do think if you get Dortmund on their day, as in a good day, I do think this has the possibility of being a Champions League classic. Yeah, absolutely. Because obviously, we we saw we saw how Dortmund, how how hot and cold Dortmund blow against against Sevilla. Yeah. I I do think the same will happen here, and I do think we expect goals a lot just visually pleasing attacking football so hopefully Dortmund can turn it on and put up a fight against Man City instead of just getting steamrolled 4-0 which in fairness goal was just a goal fest isn't that bad to see anyways but if both teams can really turn it on Man City's going to have it on no matter what it's it's going to be an entertaining game 100% I do think it'd be a great I know I said this about the Pussy-Munchie-Gladbach game but I do think it'd be a great narrative if Dortmund are able to win this and go through and obviously there's one man who's probably likely going to haul Dortmund over that line and yeah, that's going to be exactly, hard absolutely he wasn't particularly good last weekend but I mean I, I, I believe in him and so it, it does depend on how Mbappe does against PSG because obviously Haaland and Mbappe are intrinsically tied to each other when one does well the other one has to do well but um, I, I think I think he will rise to the occasion and finally, in Germany, Union Berlin played Hertha Berlin, and it finished one-one. But Union probably deserved to win this game, and it shows it shows how far Union Berlin have come over the past two years, especially the fact that they're challenging for UEFA Conference place in their second season in in the Bundesliga, which is the only team to do something like that was RB Leipzig. Who finished second in their first ever season, but yeah. And obviously, as Nick mentioned earlier, they are obviously challenged for a conference place, and they are four points off by Le- Leverkusen. So we're going to have our break now, and then we will be back with Syria and the Europa League. Welcome back for for our final part, where obviously we'll start with a goal song review. You just heard the severe goal song. I hate I hate that Jack's getting comfortable <laughs> with of, with choosing team choosing goal songs for teams that have recently been their litty. Because of this reason, I'm gonna have to give this a minus one out of ten again. But if if it wasn't for the fact that Sevilla had been their litty, I would probably give it a nine out of ten. It's a really good song, but I can't like it. I legally can't. It's not allowed. Yeah, so there you go. Nick likes the true. song. That's not and true. I, I would yeah, like the song, but I don't. You, 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 when we weren't recording, he was open of liking it. I just make well, that clear. I didn't know whose goal song it was. And so now, and so, and so I'll give it a, a ten out of ten. I deeply dislike you. Yeah. So now we're going to start with with Syria, where the biggest or the, the, we had the Turin derby, and obviously Torino are, are, by, are fighting for their lives at the bottom of Syria. Whereas Juventus are, are fighting for their lives to stay in the Champions League place. And things get worse for Juventus as they drew this game 2-2. Federico Chiesa opened the scoring. As obviously we, we know now that Federico Chiesa is 
Juventus. I, I did have my doubts about this earlier, but now the, the way that he's maintained these good performances throughout the rest of the season, I do agree with you now. Absolutely. He's the only one who really brings energy to the team, I, I say. I, I've converted you to be a stand. Um, and then Antonio Sarabia, ex uh, I, I believe it's actually uh, I, I twice. Sanabria with an N because Sanabria plays for Sevilla, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I wrote <laughs> that wrong. You're correct. But we'll, we'll, keep, we'll move. Uh, scored twice to, to give Torino the lead, quite surprisingly, only for a late Ronaldo goal to rescue Juventus a point. So it's gone for Ronaldo's... Ronaldo obviously being the second best player in Juventus. Who the hell would you say is better than better than Ronaldo other than Geza? Morata. <laughs> There's no way you actually believe uh, that. So obviously <laughs> this, this then ended up in a draw and it does raise a lot of questions as Juventus are still persistent on backing and Andre Pirlo as manager as obviously this is still his first um, job ever which I think is the first flaw. The fact you've hired such an inexperienced manager to lead one of the biggest teams in Italy <laughs> to to a, to a title, and he's literally just cost Inter, not Inter, Juventus the first trophy, or the first Scudetto in nearly ten years. What I hear a lot from people who who defend Pirlo is that oh yeah, his team is very bad. He doesn't have a lot to work with. They don't fit his playing style, his managing style. All of that, and I agree with them. They're hundred percent right with all of those points. The Juve squad is very dead, and Pirlo doesn't have a lot to work with. But also, he's not the right manager for Juve. For as you said, one of the biggest teams in Europe, at least not at the moment. I think it's very. It would be very reasonable for Juve to let him go. I don't think they will do it, but I think they probably should let him go for a while, and then he should take some time. I guess a little bit like Lampard. He's not doing anything right now, but I think he should do the same. And then and then Pirlo should just go to some medium-sized teams and just gain some experience, gain some practice, see how his vision, his tactical vision works in practice. And then he can come back to, to Juve just just being a, a better coach and, and just knowing how tactics work much better. And then I think that that would genuinely work for the team just much more productively than what's going on now. Or, or basically the players are bad and don't know what to do and Pirlo just doesn't know how to fix it and he doesn't know what, what, how to work with what he has so um, I agree with the argument that Pirlo's situation is uh, aggravated by, by, by the squad he has but also he's not good enough for Juve at the moment and he should go Yeah, I, I do believe there's going to be a lot of changes in Juventus this summer there's going to be a lot of people leaving Ronaldo could be one of them. We we don't know yet, but I do think I do think this is a case of back to Real Madrid. Hopefully, a massive rebuild is about to commence at Juventus. A bit similarly to like what Barcelona should be doing, as obviously Juventus have thrown all their money at Ronaldo, and they they're paying so much money to to aging players as well. And and. Yes, you could argue, yes, they've got young players in the team like De Ligt, like McKenney, like Dybal, or Dybal's not even that young anymore, like Chiesa, They're, but it's it's not enough and they need to, and they need a complete restructure of the team. But you could even see players like Artur, um, Bentancur, and possibly even McKenney leave. I doubt McKenney's going to leave because obviously he just 
He literally just moved there. But uh, definitely you could see players like Artur and Bentancur possibly leaving this summer as well. And this result for Juventus has actually meant they have the possibility of slipping into the Europa League places as they are now level on points with Napoli who themselves beat Crotone 4-3 and are in great form with Gis Mertens also being in great form and what's interesting is that both of these teams now play each other in midweek on Wednesday and so with Napoli being in, in great form and Juventus being quite poor this does have a, a good possibility of Napoli taking advantage of this and pushing into the Champions League places which a few weeks ago Yes, I joked about them having a title challenge, but it looked quite bleak, their chances of qualifying, even for the Europa League. And the fact they've picked up their form so much, I, I could possibly see Napoli winning this game with with ease. In fairness, you were quite... I mean, yes, you were a bit off with your prediction about, about a title challenge from Napoli, but uh, they're only four points behind Inter Milan and they have a game in hand. So I think it would be very possible for Napoli to finish the season second, which would be an incredible turnaround from where they were sitting four or six weeks ago. And it shows that if if they hadn't had that small collapse in, in January and the start of February, you, you, you might have been right. But that's not how things turned out. And I guess we're just, we're just going to have to settle with potentially second place, hopefully a Champions League spot. That's what's looking really like. I do like how you could have potentially the top four of Inter Milan, AC Milan, Atalanta and Napoli as well. And and it just shows how how great and competitive European leagues are. And like a, another and like another specific league out of the top five. In in which in which the money club exactly. is like 15 points ahead of everyone which else which is something league. I want to address at later, at later point why the Premier League is not as what people think it is anyway Inter Milan played Bologna and won 1-0 uh, a Romelu Lukaku goal uh, settled it so and because Milan drew 1-1 with Sampdoria after late Jans Peter Haag equaliser it does mean Inter Milan extend their lead at the top and we are looking more and more like uh, Inter Milan Scudetto, which will be their first since 2010, when obviously Jose Mourinho uh, won that uh, elusive treble with Inter Milan. So finally, we're going to look at the Europa League. Um, obviously, we're at the quarter-final stage now. There's arguably there's only one pretty interesting game. So you've got Arsenal versus Slavia Prague, Dinamo Zagreb versus Villarreal. Uh, Roma versus Ajax, which is probably the biggest one, and then Granada versus Manchester United. I think Granada Manchester United could be the the most interesting out of those games. Not not, not the one with the best football quality or or just the most entertaining to watch, but just the most interesting. Because right, Granada has slipped a little bit in the league recently, but they were they were doing really well at um, just throughout patches. They had a decent run. In, in the first three months and then January, February they, they picked it up quite well again and, and, and they were really looking very strong and yes they're coming off two consecutive losses in, in, in the league but I think that they if, they if they concentrate they could really upset and 
Manchester United who might not be expecting such a difficult match. Yeah, I, I, I would love Granada to win this as it would carry on the great story that they have of them getting so far. But obviously, Man United had a scare against AC Milan and were arguably very lucky to go through, I, I think, as the amount of goals that AC Milan had ruled out was unbelievable. But then obviously, um, the golfing quality will probably be shown here as Man United brushed aside Real Sociedad in, in the round of 32. So it will be interesting to see how this how this pans out. But obviously, I would love a, a Granada win. And obviously, the biggest game out of them is Roma versus Ajax. Obviously, Ajax being Ajax, and then Roma, who are are a decent team, and sadly have fell away in their race in for the Champions League in Serie A as well. So how how do you think this game is going to pan out? almost certainly Ajax win um, just right Ajax don't have as much of a competitive league as Roma to, to practice in and get in shape for for European football but they're just so much better than than Roma at the moment Roma not not even just looking to be in a in a Champions League spot for for the Serie A meanwhile Ajax is basically cruising into Eredivisie and they're they're really getting just just their games are coming out together really well from from them. So, as per usual, Ten Hag's attacking football is working quite well. They're at the point in the season where all of the new players, especially one of my personal favorites, Anthony Santos, all these new players have integrated themselves well into the into the squad, and just everything is moving fluidly. The attack is nice and and it works well. So I think that they'll probably slide past Roma without too much problem and then that could obviously set up a, a cham- uh, not Champions League final they wish mm. um, a, a semi-final between Man United and Ajax or Roma which oh, I've just ruled out Granada there but yeah and then the, obviously the other the other two semi or quarterfinals are Arsenal versus Slavia Prague Slavia Prague are not the whipping boys that people think they are and Arsenal because they've obviously beaten the, yep they've beaten Rangers and Leicester and I, it's Slavia Prague will cause Arsenal some issues and obviously you've got Dinamo Zagreb versus Villarreal Dinamo Zagreb obviously beat Tottenham quite shockingly and Villarreal are, are probably going to win this let's be honest the Villarreal have dropped a little bit recently but you're right I think that they aren't Spurs so they're better than Tottenham especially when it comes to to knockout, to knockout matches so I think they should be alright and so that could possibly end up in Unai Emery semi-final as obviously Arsenal could possibly play Villarreal. Unai Emery is the Europa League man. He won, I believe, three with Sevilla. So that is it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow, share, like us, whatever. And, and yeah, we will see you later on in the week. See you later. Have a good week.